Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph by myself, Catherine Whitaker, and David Law. We are in the same room. That room is just a stone's throw away from Craven Cottage, where um, I had forgotten that Fulham would be playing the second leg of their crucial uh, championship playoff match tonight. So, David is uh, I, I I feel like I've stitched him up a bit by suggesting he stay in the lovely Putney Premier Inn uh, which happens to tonight be solely occupied by rowdy Derby County fans and then also David Law yes yes I, I'm trying to just sort of blend in really and not cause a stir I think it might be the official overnight residence of Derby County away fans David I think you might be right things, uh, student, things can student, get very interesting student Matt incidentally our very own uh, specialist on social media is a, is a big Fulham fan so everybody support Fulham for the next hour I'm already supporting Fulham for that I do desperately want Fulham to fast forward through the next minute and a half if you're not into football but I really really want Fulham not to be in the same league as Reading because then I can support them for a bit right because I, I live, I, you know, I can hear the cheers of Craven Cottage from my flat. Right. I feel a, I feel a kinship. Okay. Uh, but at the moment, it's a problematic. Sharing yeah. a division this next year, aren't they? Yeah. That's not gone very well. Yeah. Right. We're, can we move we're cr- on? We're cruising in different directions, David. One yeah. on the up, one on one on the on the. Can we talk about down. Madrid and Kvitova and stuff? Should we talk about tennis? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have two Madrid champions. We have a three-time champion. Uh, in the form of Petra Kvitova. And we have a one-time champion uh, and a man on a serious winning streak. Well, actually, Kvitova's on a winning streak as well. She won in Prague the yes. week before. Uh, two players on serious winning streaks uh, in the form of Alex Verev and Petra Kvitova, the champions in Madrid. Yeah, and both absolutely spellbindingly good in their own way. D- slightly different way, because... In the case of Kvitova, she she had to just fight fatigue. Like, I've rarely seen a player have to fight it on a court in terms of just digging out 
a performance from from a very very tired body and she played against Kiki Burton's in the final as you said she'd been riding this crest of a wave she'd been Karolina Pliskova on her way to get there she'd won this title in Prague and then suddenly you saw this you know that look you get when you've been working at a Grand Slam every day for sort of 12 days and you get to the 13th day and you suddenly hit the wall what are you talking about us or tennis players oh us yeah Yeah, day 13 they never they never look like this normally tennis players but uh you know that sort of hollow look that you tell me i sometimes have at this state that sort of stage of tournament petra kvitova had one of those mid-final she'd won the first set and then suddenly this look came over her and you're thinking she's really vulnerable right here i don't think she's going to be able to win this because burton's looked so much fresher and she's a she's a wall is is Kiki Burton's and she was getting every ball back then she was throwing in glorious drop shots everything seemed to be working for her and Kvitova midway through this this difficult spell she won one point and I don't remember seeing a player react like this I don't think ever uh, that I can remember in the middle of a match you know usually when you see a player scream and drop their racket it is on match point she did it on a break to set up a break point right it, it, but it was so impactful it was meant so much to her she hit this winner and then she just dropped a racket did a double fist pump and a sort of pirouette 360 degrees to be then facing her coaching box again for a second time in about four seconds and uh, and I, I thought she was hurt or something because of the way she screamed in celebration and uh it was it was joyful. It made you jump out your seat watching it. And from that moment, I mean, there was a there was a little bit of me that thought, I'm not sure Kiki Burton's appreciates that because that that is almost off putting. That celebration. It was totally from the heart. It was totally just in the moment from Kvitova. But from there, she just dragged herself over the finishing line and and just a wonderful win. And and then, I mean, she was in tears, really, afterwards, the whole, I think the whole camp were. This was such a big deal to her. You know, and it, it's, it's so easy to forget, isn't it, that a year and a half ago, she was attacked in her own home with a knife. Well, you sh- a year ago, she didn't play Madrid. No. Roland Garros was her comeback tournament, and that was a huge surprise that yeah. she even turned up there, so and let alone won matches. You're talking about somebody who... who could could very well have been very seriously injured worse than she was she could have i mean she could have lost her life in that attack for all we know how bad it could have ended up um she nearly lost a hand she nearly lost her career and fortunately she's back out there doing this and and that just you know there's some justice in the world that she was able to be out there doing that and it was wonderful and she's pulled out of Rome now because she was so fatigued yeah we'll come on to that in a minute whoa 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 there David she's pulled out of Rome just going to read the the wording here due to a hamstring injury right she didn't know she's pulled out of Rome due to a hamstring injury well it was a pretty elaborate celebration as I said (laughs) so she could easily have done it then but that Um, was a fatigue issue for me we'll come on to Zverev um, separately but it's pretty interesting for me that it it that Madrid was won by two players that both arrived really late due to having won uh, immediately in in different locations the previous week because usually Madrid is won by players that get to arrive there at, in plenty of time to adjust to the very specific altitudinous conditions. You know, the the, the fatigue that Kvitova is experiencing was partly because of the tennis in her legs, but it's also a very... It's a very pulmonary fatigue isn't it even if you're not feeling it in your legs you you saw a lot of incredibly fit players 
really puffing after a few games last week. So I find it interesting that sort of the the momentum and the confidence that you get from winning has kind of been proven this this last week to override or that you can sort of ride out the physical wave um, with confidence or certainly those two were, I, were I, able to. I think confidence in those conditions because I think we saw we'll, we'll come on to talk about Nadal but we could we saw him lose a bit of confidence in his game in that altitude and in those conditions whereas Zverev from, from ball one of the week I mean he almost won the title easily all of the matches he was not really pushed it was it felt like everything was being played within himself and that's frightening for the rest whether he can recreate that on other t- tournament surfaces and in other conditions and obviously particularly we're still we still have this big question mark over the best of five at slams because he hasn't been even to a quarter final yet but this was a another moment where you just thought crikey if he's winning titles easily at that level then that's that's a big concern for the rest he doesn't have the luxury of pulling out of uh, rome with a hamstring injury though uh because he's the defending champion there. He mm. has to turn up there. He has to play for the third consecutive week. And it's not like he can rock up there like M- M- Murray did a couple of years ago where he'd won in Munich and then he won Madrid. And it was like, yeah, I'll rock up in Rome and see what happens. If I lose early, it's all fine because I've got the matches I need before Roland Garros. It's a big deal for him because he's defending a Masters 1000 title for the first time. Yes. Um, do you think that he would be better off maybe not winning it? Maybe, but he can't think like that, can he? He's defending a Masters 1000 title for the first time. He ca- surely can't think in terms of... No, he can't. Not- and, and, I, and I actually think he... I, I think that the more he wins, the better. He's won 17 sets in a row. I mean, it pales into, into insignificance compared to Rafa Nadal's 50 sets in a row, world record, breaking the John McEnroe record of 1984 on a single surface. He won 50 in a row on clay. This was 17 in a row. But that, in, in normal circumstances, that's an incredible achievement. Won the title without dropping a set only one, lost a set in his first round in Munich but I just feel that this is another stage in his maturing process and he he's 21 he's just turned 21 and he's just cruising to tournament victories at the highest level now I still feel that he's got a, a long way to go in terms of proving that he can do that at these bigger tournaments over the best of five I'm still not Completely convinced. Who's going to do? There. Who's going to do better at the French? Kvitova or Zverev? I would say Zverev. That, that is the face, ladies and gentlemen, of a man that realizes it's a it's a pole vault that he didn't think of. <laughs> uh, but now you've given me the idea. It's coming, <laughs> folks. I would say that is a good pole vault, Catherine. I like that. Thanks. It's not. A, it's not a good pole vault, David. It's just a good question. So we're going to. Can I do it? Just now do a question, and I want right. a straightforward answer. I would say Zverev, and the Ooh. reason I would say that is because. I feel like I can rely on him a bit more. And I know that sounds slightly counterintuitive at a Grand Slam, but his game, once he cracks it, I think it's massive problems for everybody else. Once he figures that he can transfer his best-of-three set Master Series game to the best-of-five at Slams, I'd, I don't know what the others are going to do Everybody else, it. including Nadal. 
No, Nadal's different. I mean, on clay, Nadal, it's different there. Now, I'm not saying he's going to win the French Open. I'm not saying that. I think it depends when he plays Nadal, right? Um, everybody else? Better to play him early? <sighs> better to play him late? Prob- probably In the better middle. to play him early, <laughs> I think. Better probably better to play him early. I, I, look, I, I would still back Nadal to beat him. But I'm talking about the other surfaces. Grass, maybe not so much. I'm not that convinced about the dexterity of, of, of Zverev yet uh, when he's up anywhere from the service line forwards I, I'm not sure that he's that comfortable if you, you there are ways to hurt him if, you, if you're good enough that I could imagine Federer toying with him if he's on his game uh, I could imagine maybe Dimitrov causing him some problems with with spins and low slices and so forth on a, on a grass court I think there are one or two others that could I think on a clay court maybe some of the loopier players the Spanish players who can grind with him might cause him some problems it it was interesting how little penetration the outrageous shot makers of uh, a team and Shapovalov I know I know there were there were points in in the first sets of both those matches but it it was interesting how little penetration they had against him I thought yeah I I think I think I felt as though one or two people rather jumped to too many conclusions about the Shapovalov match first of all it was four all in the first set I think the other the the slightly more important point is he's two years younger than him and Zverev has been through that journey he's been through his two more years they're exactly the same ranking at the same age uh, 40 something in the world yeah the fact that there's even a comparison is a massive compliment to Shapovalov yeah I mean but I think if if there is a surface in which Zverev is going to dominate Shapovalov. It's going to be clay. I think it's, it's likely to be Shapovalov's weakest surface. And and look, sometimes styles do make matches. And and I do feel as though the the sheer game style of Kyrgios is likely to. I can see why that would cause Zverev more problems. Um, but so I'm not 100 percent convinced that he will just be able to beat everybody, even even with as well as he's playing now. But what he does is he he's like. He's like Kyle Edmund, but better in as much as he just doesn't go away. He just keeps coming back for more next week. Okay, might lose this week. Well, hang on. Isn't the better comparison he's like Novak Djokovic? Yes, it is. And and that's the other the other element is when we talk about the ease with which he's won this tournament, cast your mind back 10 years. to, ha- to You look at some of Novak Djokovic's score lines. He used to just beat people 6-2, 6-3 all the time. There were so many matches where there were not competitive sets because he, he, he kind of had no real weakness. And Zverev is kind of a man with not really any weaknesses and he moves well. Oh, and he's six foot six and he's got a massive serve. It's maybe not as fast as it might end up being and it, and it may end up getting better than it is now. But he's just rolling through service games easily. Do you want to hear something quite funny? Gone. Better be. That's a good setup. You Alex Verhoeven is still eligible for the next gen finals this year. <laughs> He's still going to technically finish number one in those next gen rankings, it, it and, and everyone's going to have to sort of conveniently pretend. <laughs> That he's not still that young and still eligible yeah, because was, he's, he's just like, a bit too good. It's like Harry Kane getting Young Player of the <laughs> yeah. Year, isn't it? How old is he? 24? <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're all just not talking about the fact that Zverev is still 
that young. It's nice that, in, just on a total side note about Shapovalov, he is still super, ex- compared to Zverev last year, who what I was hearing was even from pretty early on in the year, and rightly so, it turned out, he was pretty bullshit about the fact that he would be playing in London and not in Milan. Shapovalov is talking very endearingly about how excited he is for Milan, and I love that. No, I'm not saying... Uh, you know, he would qualify for London. I'm not suggesting that it's it's, it's too early, but I love that he's not thinking. Oh, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit above Milan. I'm a little bit ahead of the other mm. Milaners. I, I I think that's a really good sign. Yes, I, I would agree. Uh, I think he he does seem to retain that boyish awe about it all, and and I like that. You know, and I hope I hope that that's what what they all keep really. Zverev definitely doesn't have that. He has he has a respect for the game. I mean, and he clearly loves what he's doing. You can see that. I, like, I quite like the way he's interacting. Um, certainly on things that ATP Media have set up for him. You know, where he's talking to a fan, talking to the fans. He, he talks well, um, but there's a self assuredness about Zverev, um, and it's not even just cockiness. It's just as an I belong about him and that, and that that's going to, to carry him a long way when you add that to what he's got oh dear i mean he he, he the, the the danger is that he could win tournaments that, and they'd be boring because he's winning them so easily can you hear the cottage rocking david i'm hearing the chance no uh, i did hear something in the distance and uh, i've They're also loving craven cottage is loving the tennis podcast i did see a beer bottle just roll down the street <laughs> David, David has a ground floor room <laughs> which uh, for anyone that's walked down Fulham High Street after uh, <laughs> after a potentially either magical or heartbreaking night at Craven Cottage is is a pretty bold move I'd say yeah, David I'm, I'm kind of concerned about, I'm trying to work out what's better is it better for the local team to win and me have to deal with the Derby fans that are in my hotel who are going to be all heartbroken and looking for a fight or is it better that the Derby fans win and they want a party and I can't go to sleep because they're too loud and there can't be a draw tonight can't can answer, I can't so, answer that question for you David yeah can you imagine someone losing on penalties I'll just leave you to uh, speculate on that for a minute while I come up with wait. another brilliant question who's going further at the French Open David Kiki Burton's or Dominic Team? Brackets, I love Kiki Burton's. I mean, I love Dominic Team as well, and I'm pleased to see him. I would say Team. I would say Team. I, I think Burton's is is a really good watch uh, as well. I like, and I I've already just, been to the semi-finals. She has, and and I love her coach uh, Ray, Raymond Slauter, somebody that I used to know way back when I was on on tour as a communications manager twenty years ago, and he's just a lovely fella, and so is she, a really lovely person, and 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 it's great to see somebody like that who's clearly not you know a prodigious talent, but it's just absolutely maximising her career, and um, also the the lesser spotted in the women's game clay court specialist really she's yeah. pretty much a clay court specialist True. for me she's absolutely top eight in the world on clay possibly higher she's just risen to top 20 as a result of reaching the final in madrid outright but adjust that for clay and she is 100 percent a top eight player so, so much though pre- relies on the draw because if yeah. if team because he's what seven in the world he's already played nadal in in a couple of quarterfinals and you know if he gets the wrong draw if he ends up playing Nadal or and I know he's I know he beat Nadal last week and some people might say well why are you saying that well I just I don't think he would do it at Roland Garros because it's Roland Garros or because it's best of five both both 
So what did you make of, of the victory last week? How much was it about team? How much was it about Rafa? Well, it was 50-50 for both because uh, I think you can vouch for the fact, Catherine, that I thought that that might happen. Not when we last recorded this podcast, David. I, you... I paused there because the face that David is giving me is insufferable. <laughs> it is absolutely... I've actually turned my head away. <laughs> you have, actually. Shall I selfie it uh, oh and just God. put it up on Instagram? Uh, um, but... <laughs> you, David, it's already public. Around. It's already in the public sphere because yeah. you tweeted it, David. There's, there's a lot of people who listen to the show who don't don't look at Twitter so right. let's, let's just remind them just, shall, should we? we just read out all of your tweets but from the past can, week t- I've got it memorised oh, fill an so, hour of air time so anyway I, I thought that maybe if, if team was teeing off um, that, he, that he might be able to well at least push him right and yeah the non-committal uh, man's the uh, prediction bang on co- prediction that I got right um, but I was I, I was also part of that was was having seen the previous round for Nadal. He played Diego Schwartzman and he won six three six four something like that. But he was missing a lot. You know, it was one of those where, yes, it sounds straightforward, but actually Nadal was kind of fortunate not to end up getting taken into at least a tiebreak or or to have lost a set there. And and his game was just a bit off. And it look the altitude in Madrid does things to his game that Rome and certainly Roland Garros just do not do. They they take away something from him. And you you can look at that in his results. He has not had anything like the degree of success in Madrid that he's had in Barcelona, Monte Carlo, Roland Garros, and to a slightly lesser extent in Rome. So I, I, I'm not in the slightest alarmed by that result on behalf of Nadal. He does usually lose at least one match in the clay court season. I mean, he's playing so many matches. You know, even Nadal is going to start to have a physical letdown at some point. So I, 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 I just, it went kind of how I thought it would, and it could have gone either way result-wise. But team... I don't actually think over the course of the week he wasn't even playing that well. If you looked at some of his results, he very nearly lost early on in that tournament. Um, and, and so I think the team is not playing as well this year as he was a year ago. But, yeah, it, it'll just depend to me on the draw how far he ends up getting. But I'd still back him to go further than Burton. Kyle Edmund defeated Novak Djokovic in Madrid in the second round in what many are calling, David, the biggest win of his career. Now, I think it was a great win, a great match. I don't think it was the biggest win of his his career. We had a text exchange about this. I think that was a very lazy interpretation of Thanks. it. Sorry. I'm, I mean, on paper, it's to the lays, to the casual tennis fan that whose ears prick up, you know, on a five live bulletin when they hear about a British tennis player doing something good, they would think, of course, a win over Djokovic. It sounds brilliant, doesn't it? It sounds better than a win over Dimitrov. But it's up to us that know a bit about tennis to point out the fact that actually, as good a win as it was, and it it was, it was nowhere near as much as beating. Grigor Dimitrov, a top five player at the time, in the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam over five sets. No. It, 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 it's not. No, it look, is not. Significance-wise, it, it isn't. I think for him, mentally, it may well ju- just be as big because he'd never taken, I don't think, even a set from Djokovic before. Is that right? Um, he'd certainly never 
come close to beating him. And I know that this is not the Djokovic of two years ago. I realise that. Um, but in Kyle Edmonds' mind, it's still Novak Djokovic. And I think that somebody like him, he'd be able to, 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 to distill it down to that. Um, and it was just... It was a great performance from Edmund. I think it was equally impressive that he then backed it up straight away and beat David Goffin, didn't he, in the next he round? He did, yeah. That was, again, that was I would say that win. was as big as beating Djokovic. I, I think some people made the point that maybe he should be a little disappointed that he didn't actually carry that on and get to the semis, really. He played Shapovalov, who played very well, but still, that was a, a match that Edmund on clay would... I don't know, you feel as though he'd, he, he, could, have, he could have won that one. Um He's the, the, two one in the decider, thirty love up yeah. against Malik Jaziri. The Djokovic in, in news that will be out of date by the time you're listening to this. Indeed, the Djokovic element to it is just another one of those where he's had a, a decent win over Kane Ishikori. You're starting very to think, good, more oh, than decent, great win over so, Kane Ishikori. So what happens to him? Don't know. I don't that know. That's the big question. He's won another one today. He won very straightforward against uh, Alexander Dogopolov. Yes, Dogopolov, and. You know, you're thinking, well, maybe his, you know, he loves Rome. They love him. Maybe this is the week, but we we're waiting all the time for the real guy to just keep on punching the clock day after day. And at this point, Catherine is where I can just let you know about my latest text exchange. He's doing another face. Yeah, go for it, David. Yeah, this is, I'm going is... to look away now. <laughs> um, because well, I was I, I was talking to you wasn't I earlier this week about. Who do we compare this to? Djokovic is what thirty-one, th- about to turn thirty-one now. Prime, I'd call that prime, David. Yeah, definitely prime. Thirty-two also. Thirty-two, is, uh, is... and anything up to at least forty is prime. So I'm way past. Um, but anyway, uh, that's uh, that's Novak Djokovic's his age, and of course he's won twelve slams. He's been number one. He's dominated the sport. And then he's had this alarming drop-off. And obviously, one of the big reasons for that is the fact that he's had a serious injury. He's had, he's had a really problematic elbow. And we now know he's had a, a small surgery to it. He's had the changes in coaches. Nothing seems to have worked so far. Um, I was trying to work out, who is this like in the history books? And the person I came up with in my mind... First of all was Borg, because of the way he just sort of walked away from the sport. I know that was more dramatic. And the other one was Jim Courier. Because if you look back, and I know Courier didn't have anything like the the degree of number of slam titles and dominance that Djokovic had, but between 1991 and 1993, he he reached six slam finals, winning four of them. He was the dominant player for, for a period there. Why are you smiling? No, not no. I'm, I'm that genuinely was just me not doing a resting bitch face for once. <laughs> okay. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, I was trying to work this out. So I thought I'd ask Mary Carrillo what she thought because you know she works with Jim Courier, and I thought I wonder, off whether, he goes. I wonder whether she's ever teased it out of Jim Courier. What happened to him back then? 20 years ago so here's what she said Jim says that he developed dead arm he said he tried to play through it and made it worse tried to rest it and it did no good so he she thinks that his was more a physical problem than Djokovic's mental or emotional burnout if that's what he's got um so I was I was hang on a second is that is that a medical term 
What? Dead arm. Apparently. I don't, what is that? Is it like permanent pins and needles? I guess so. You know, like, I suppose a sort of tennis elbow feel. Hang on, you've no, got no. all the time. Have you ever had tennis elbow? I haven't, no. Well, there you go. Stop doing your sneering face then, as if it's well, nothing. Well, because I think that's quite, that's quite a big leap. No, it's not, you've never <laughs> had it. from so tennis elbow to dead arm. But it's, that's what it is, I think. That's yeah. an American. I like to do the, med- <laughs> the uh, overreaching medical segments of this podcast, David. No, you like to do those va- vast strides from A <laughs> yeah. to B uh, based on very little knowledge. Anyway, I was, I was asking about the other champions that, that she remembers and, and you know whether they retire, whether there are many in, examples of them retiring because of burnout etc is this just what happened and she said the only champion in recent memory not including connors who just got too old that comes to mind who didn't get fed up with the grind and requisite mental focus and spartan lifestyle required who truly left only because his body told him he had to was lendl oh i thought you were going to say leighton hewitt no. no i mean Hewitt is still playing doubles, FYI. He has definitely only left because he is, you know, a heartbeat away from asking for wild cards into singles. Well, um, yeah. Can't resist. Sorry. You're you're interrupting Mary Carrillo here. Do you mind? Sorry. Uh, I thought that I I briefly thought Mary Carrillo and I were on a on a wavelength and you, I got excited I didn't and notice your eyes light up at that wrong. prospect uh, she then goes on to say if his back Lendl's back had let him continue he would have kept paying the price but guys like Agassi Sampras Velanda Makino Becker those guys couldn't square it up in their heads and hearts that the wins were worth more than everything else in their lives Roger is the ultimate example of having it all but he, of course, is from a different galaxy, where the space-time continuum is far different from planet Earth's. Rafa is an Earthling, who will only go out when his body forces him to. I'm still unsure of where exactly Lendl comes from. That's what so Mary where says. does Djokovic come from? In Novak's case, Mary says, <laughs> I think when he found himself holding all four majors, when he'd finally won the title his childhood coach implored him to fight for and own on her deathbed. It must have at once filled him with elation and emptied him of hunger. John McEnroe says he was never happier than when he was number two in the world, chasing the great Bjorn Borg. That when he took over the top spot, Bjorn pulled up and went home, and it was soul-deadening. Then John had to fend off the likes of Connors, who he deeply disliked, and the man he considered artless, the robotic Lendl, he lost his heart. He lost heart, spirit, and the tantalising Tatum took him into late nights with famous people instead of winning late night doubles matches with Peter Fleming. John's version of keeping his game sharp. It's good. Why, this, are, why are we doing a podcast and not Mary Carrillo? <laughs> she is through us. <laughs> right, <laughs> okay. Mary, Mary We're going to have to adjust all our branding to Mary, also feature Mary Carrillo. This is the Mary Carrillo name. podcast, everybody. She basically doesn't know how to turn it on uh, on the iPad, so she's, uh, <laughs> she's just texted me to, so she can do it for her. Um, she says that Djokovic had achieved in tennis everything he dreamed of doing, and if the stories are true, at the height of his career, happiness... He was struggling in his personal life as well. Hell of a lot, even for someone as bright and accomplished as Novak Djokovic. Is that it? I don't know whether That's to it. talk. You can talk now. It's good, <laughs> right. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's all got a bit deep and profound. Well, 
you know, this is the new us. <laughs> <laughs> Deep and profound. I am not going to be arguing with anything she just said. I think it all sounds both um, uh, logical and um, emotional and, um, yeah. You agree with this whole yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there's there's a number of assumptions in there, but on the basis of those assumptions, absolutely, it all makes total sense. You, and you never look at me like that. You never say that about when I'm talking, except when I just did. Yeah, but she, but also, it's 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 as scientific as comparisons with the past can be, right? Yes. You know, it's using the the, the most similar examples and the the most visceral insight a person can offer which is you know mary carillo's personal conversations with john McEnroe, um and that you know it's still not scientific because there are so few people that have experienced what these guys and girls have experienced um and each one of them is completely different and and weird you know you have to be a bit weird to do this ridiculous stuff that they do it, that's why it's, it's not normal that's it? why it's quite difficult for us to speculate because we're speculating on the basis of our relative normalness and how our brains work and their brains don't function and like that, that that's that's why as well i think federer and people like petra kvitova and kim kleisters are so unusual that they seem to have this total measure of normality about them at the same time as being great at what they do yeah, I mean, there's other examples, aren't there? But they are, the, yeah, I mean, Petra Kvitova particularly pertinent. And it quite often comes from either a wonderful or a terrible personal experience away from tennis that gives you some kind of perspective. I mean, Kim Kleisters was great before she had children, but continued to be great after she came Arguably back. even better. Yeah, I mean, Petra Kvitova is, is pure joy, isn't it? It's humanising. Those experiences are completely humanising um, for these people. And... Um, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen to... I mean, he's won today pretty easily. He feels as at home in Italy and Rome as anywhere, I Djokovic. I would say so, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Possibly even more so than Monte Carlo. That, that's where he gets, I think, the most support in the world, apart from if he played, obviously, in Serbia. Yeah, I mean, I was commentating on Francesca Schiavone today on uh, the grandstand court for a lot longer than I might have been, thanks for that, Francesca, for having very little concern for the rush hour traffic along the A316 the when you were fighting the... back pointlessly to win the third set today. <laughs> uh, the second then. set. She, she still lost. <laughs> I'm OK with fight backs if, you know, it means something. But in the end, actually, Sibokova could have won in two easy sets and I could have beaten the traffic. The point is the fight. The, the point is the fight. Thanks very much, Francesca. But that grandstand court and the, the, the you know, I'd, I'd commentated uh, Roberto Vinci's last ever match earlier in, in the day and, and the stands for that were absolutely full. It was standing room only. There were queues to get into the Pietrangeli court. Francesca Schiavone, lots of parallels. Okay, she hasn't officially announced her her projected retirement, but there is every chance she won't be back at the Faro Italico. It was pretty much empty. It was a bit, they, the, the, the crowds got wind of it and got into it at the end of the second set when she was doing her very inconvenient fight back um, and in the third set. Uh, but before that, it was pretty empty and it's because Djokovic was playing. You could hear the noise from the main stadium court and I was thinking, who's that Italian playing on centre? And I checked the scores and I realised it was Djokovic and that is the sound of Djokovic playing in oh, Rome. Yeah. He, they love him in, 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 in Italy. <laughs> I would say he is... Be quite, I, I can't remember too many of his, his 
big matches against some of the other big four. But I would say he he might be getting the lion's share of the support, actually, against a good few of these players. Incidentally, just on the Foro Italica, generally, you mentioned um, noise coming in from another court while you're on a certain court watching a match. I think of all the tournaments in the world, that is the one that has the the most impact from another court. If there's something going on elsewhere, you feel like you're at the wrong match, you know, because it, there's nothing like it. There, we, there were a couple of Italian players who won today, not big names. One of them was one of the ones that we mispronounced last week. We've got a whole mispronunciation yes. section, David. Yes. Save it for that. So that, that was one of them. Oh, can I just say it? Cecanato. Uh, I can't remember his first name. But anyway, he... Marco. Marco Cecanato, yeah. He, he won today, and... I'm, <laughs> The, the scenes on this court, people are almost just diving onto the court in ex- in, in just ecstasy. So um, yeah, wonderful place. If ever if ever you get chance to go to a tennis tournament as a spectator, I mean to, to work out, it's a joy on one level, it's an absolute nightmare on another or, uh, on another couple of levels. But to just go and be a spectator and sit on the steps of the Pietrangeli court. Oh, there's nothing like it. And just quickly, as I touched upon it, um, probably should um, just spend an extra moment paying tribute to Roberta Vinci, who played her last ever match today on that court. Um, And uh, she came up against Alexandra Krunic, who apologised to the crowd for for beating Vinci today. I mean... Quite right, Yeah, it's the right time for her to retire. And uh, it's a wonderful example of somebody, I think, that is retiring with no regrets no sleepless yeah. nights she will be 100% content with what she achieved she's doing it her own way uh, her retirement and um yeah sometimes you get an ever so slightly sinking feeling when someone retires and you think about that black hole that they might be faced with and who knows you know retirement can be difficult for even the most contented of tennis players but it was a a very happy moment mm. uh, on that Pietrangeli court today, yeah. and uh, and not a not a black hole moment. Seeing as you've mentioned it, David, should we do the uh, correcting all of our terrible pronunciation sections? Yes. And I feel like three and one. Given episode. that given that I pulled you up on your pronunciations, and I'm so quick to do so usually, I feel like I should lead the apologies here. Please do, yeah. Uh, Anna Doble is. I was trying to make her sound more exotic, David. That's all I was trying to do. I corrected you and I said I thought it was Doble. Yes. Like like Buble. Do you think Michael Buble is actually Michael Booble? And he's just trying to make himself sound cool. I know I would. It's a sort of hyacinth bouquet yeah, well, situation. We, we had this with that um, the, the, one of our beloved listeners who's actually contributed to our Kickstarter, Michael Segal, didn't we? And we, we thought it was Segal. Yeah. No, it's the other way around. I thought he ought to be like Steven Seagal, but he's opted to not be like Steven Seagal. Yeah. So that's one I got wrong. That's one I got wrong. Uh, Rob Fay. Not Rob Fay. I I sort of knew as I was saying it, um, but nonetheless. We had that. Once you've said it once. You've got to commit to it, and uh, well, Tony, I'm nothing if not committed. Tony Penny pointed out it's like Tina Fey. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, I'm for, but oh dear, Tina Catherine. Fey is sm- spelt Tina Fey. Well, anyway, it's incon- inconsiderate. There's no accounting right, for Fey, Tasmanians and their bizarre pronunciations for things. Yes. Um, Chechinato is actually Chechinato. Yeah, I checked with an ATP employee on, on that one, and they backed me up, so I feel 
really let down. Want a name and shame? <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> no. Uh, are there any others? I mean, I'm sure there have been bags of them over the years, but I think this is the first time we've had Just a specific know. dedicated section. Well, I mean, you know, we did get three wrong in one episode. And yeah. That's quite a lot. We do our best, folks. We do our best. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Portuguese tennis update, David. What you got? Oh, loads. Loads. Uh, loads have been coming, uh, telling me what's wrong with Portuguese tennis and why they haven't got any champions. Uh, we, we had a, another one of our A lot of people have been saying, Oi, uh, why, why are you having a Portuguese tennis? It's not like you've been doing brilliantly Great Britain. Yes. And we're not saying that. We're saying you've got the lovely weather and the and the you, you've got more raw materials than we do in the UK for, right. for brilliance is the point that we're making. We're not saying we've always been excellent at producing tennis players either <laughs> we're definitely not saying that i actually had a, an email in from a, a listener of ours thomas cavallo who says hello first of all i think your podcast is great uh thanks very much thomas uh, so i thought i'd get that in there i'm portuguese played tennis at a national level and i can't say i'm surprised with the fact that portuguese tennis does not produce so many stars the answer to this question is the lack of infrastructure we have good coaches a lot of kids want to play but in the end the national federation is still not as efficient as it can be Moreover, we don't have an academy with the conditions to develop junior and senior tennis players at the highest level. So that's what he said. He went on to say a few more things as well. But Makes I just, sense. I have one other contribution as well from somebody you and I both know quite well, Hugo Ribeiro, who's a, a member of the media in Portugal. We had Miguel. 
Siabra last week. I pronounced that I'm one right. I'm pretty confident in Miguel. You, you got it's like that right. San Miguel the beer. Yeah. <laughs> He slagged me off for mine so, <laughs> since then, so you are right. He says, hi, David. Um, he says, your question about Portugal, of some very nice words about us, by the way, to start it off. Um, he says, uh, tennis in Portugal is still played mainly by middle and upper class people. We have a lot of tennis fans, hundreds of thousands, but it is easier to have champions from the lower classes who are hungry. Also, the Portuguese average personality does not suit individual sports, but team sports. We are not educated as the Americans, for instance, to be the best in the class and kill all our roommates or classmates because they are the competition and our rivals. And you need that killer instinct to survive in tennis, golf and professional tours of that nature. Oh, that's particularly fascinating. Not that the previous response wasn't uh, for, in terms of a personal account, but that really is interesting. I feel like there's you know, a university thesis in that or something. Yes, he says that João Sousa went to to uh, Spain at 15 years of age and therefore he has a bit of that typical Spanish fury in him. Yeah, I mean, it? and parallels there, with we, we don't want to, to go into it all, but in terms of class divisions and how um, defining they are on so many levels, I mean, Brits could could all write a novel on that last Brits couldn't we um, speaking of Brits I'm going to rush through some Brit news so adjust your um, uh, uh, adjust your podcast device now if you have absolutely no interest in British tennis whatsoever <laughs> I'll try to keep it brief for the sake of uh, those listeners that don't care about the UK um, the Davis Cup uh, playoff world group playoff tie against Uzbekistan, which we've established will be Dennis Istomin and and friends. friends. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> GB against Dennis Istomin and friends uh, will be in Glasgow it in will. September, mid September, following the US Open. That's good, isn't it? Happy memories from Glasgow from that 2015 run. Happy memories indeed. I mean, I think basically the baseline is for it always to be in Glasgow if possibly achievable. <laughs> if in doubt, Glasgow. Um, we've had some uh, good results for young British players at lower levels. ITF titles for Katie Bolter in a, in a place I mispronounced earlier, but I'm going to confidently call Fokoko um, in Japan. Gabby Taylor was also there. <laughs> Hang on a second. The way you phrase this, David, in my readout is ITF titles for Katie Bolter in Fokoko in Japan. Gabby Taylor was also there. Yes, yeah, so she was there. She, <laughs> right. didn't, she didn't do very well. In that particular <laughs> Should we just one. read out the no. list of everyone that <laughs> she, was in the draw? No, my point was that, you know, Katie Bolter won that title and Gabby Taylor, who's been doing so well lately, was right. there, didn't do so well this time. Bolter beat Naomi Brody in the quarterfinals. Laura Robson lost in the first round. And I just think that that shows how well Bolter must have done because, you know, she's she's come through what five or six matches to win that title and it's a major step for her that's her biggest title so far and she is up to i think 152 in the world now off the back of that so that's a good Ooh, old you've ride. written here 176 that was david her ranking at the time she's Ooh. gone up to 152 that's a checked, big old leap checked today and only 21 years old and yes. younger than that is katie swan yeah uh, who's up to 288 she no has... higher than that I, oh. I got that one wrong too that's <laughs> that's gone up today to about 237 so she's into the top 250 Ooh. for the first time that's pretty big isn't it yeah. uh she won a, an itf 25k event in monzon spain yes. Didn't which drop a i've no doubt will be pronun uh, correcting the pronunciation of next week jay clark uh, 
who's coached by Esteban Carril. He is only 19. He's up to 227 in the world. And a mention for George Lofhagen, only 17, uh, reached the final of an ITF event in Uganda, in Kampala, Uganda, last week. Um, and OK, the field wasn't uh, of, of the quality of, of some ITF events, but... 17. He's 17, yeah. and I hear the likes of, of Joe Jury, who knows a thing or two, speaking very highly indeed of Geoff, George Lofhagen, so keep an eye out. Uh, just very quickly as well on Jay Clark, who, who had some excellent results on the ITF future circuit in order to help build that ranking of just outside the top 200. He's now playing challenger events, which is the next rung up, and he's played three or four of those. He's won a couple of matches, but he hasn't had the same degree of success as he's had on the future circuit, and it just shows it it is a building block process and just because you're winning at one level doesn't necessarily mean you'll immediately do it at the next level um but you know we saw him very nearly qualify for Wimbledon last year and and yeah he's he's it's great to see that group of players now starting to make some some progress indeed and just on a, a final uh, discussion note david uh, a, a, a a debate topic that's been brought to light um by kelsey anderson uh, whose husband kevin uh, reached the semi-finals in madrid last week beat dushan Livich along the way uh, and she posted the following on Instagram. Just now seeing Dusan Lajovic is on the schedule for Rome Qualies today. Uh, that being the follow of the day following his uh, defeat in Madrid. I truly hope the ATP will revisit the special exempt rule to allow a player who performed well the previous week at least one day for travel before expecting them to compete in qualifying for a same level event scheduling. And special exempts are a tough issue, but for a guy who got through qualies and into the Madrid final eight, I think a spot in Rome's main draw is warranted when qualies begins less than 24 hours later from his previous match. Plus, he says he needs a haircut. Surely we can allow time for that. <laughs> is that just her opinion, or has he already got pre-booked one? Uh, uh- I don't know. I mean, most of these tournaments lay on a hairdresser, don't they? They do, don't they? I would like to add to that uh, debate topic, which will broaden it slightly, but I think it's a related enough point that I can just about sneak it in under the same umbrella, that um, I, I made some oblique references to, to Petra Kvitova's withdrawal from Rome this week, and I don't question that decision at all. I'm completely fine with her withdrawing from Rome. What I'm not fine with is the farce we have in the rules whereby she has to create an injury-based reason. It should be absolutely fine for someone who's won or reached a final or whatever the previous week to, to... to pull out of, of an event starting the very next day, or if not having mm. already started, sometimes these these big events seem to proliferate and they start the weekend before, and and so I I don't want them to have to. I, I, I mean, she might have a she might have a hamstring injury. <laughs> I preface this all with Petra Kvitova might have a hamstring injury, but I don't want players to to have to submit a de facto reason for, no. for withdrawing it should be fine to and do so within reason I, yeah. actually, I'm sure I've heard players say fatigue as a result for a reason for, for a pullout before but anyway I, I well I totally agree with you incidentally Dusan Lajevic did not qualify he, he he won his first round in the qualifying and then he lost to Stefanos Sitsipas, who continues to have excellent results he's qualified for Rome and uh, and he's just what, backing it up what do you think on on the top on Kelsey Anderson's point I mean it would be a huge old can of worms wouldn't it yeah I it makes me uncomfortable that we have this situation where 
success gets penalised at a tournament. And and I've I I mean worse than that. I've seen players have the week of their lives and as a result of having the week of their lives not be able to enter the next week at all because the qualifying happened to overlap with their with their final and i just think that's that's wrong i mean that i don't exactly know how you get around it but it doesn't feel right at all do you remember joe wilfred songer at, at queens in 2007 winning in surbiton and then yes. getting on the train to Queens to play qualies there the same day. Yes, and he did that, and then he and then he beat he, Leighton Hewitt in the first round. Yeah, and he got all the way to the quarterfinals. And th- th- I mean, that probably doesn't sound surprising, but at the time he was a complete unknown. This was oh, yeah. prior to his run at the Australian Open. I Absolutely. mean, the fact that he was on the train from Surbiton to, to <laughs> West London probably indicates that he was a complete unknown at the time. I'm sure someone would lay on a car for him these days. And just as a final note. While I've brought up Joe Wilfred Songer, he's announced today that he won't be playing the French Open. Yeah. And that's a great shame. It's a Maybe not shame. a huge surprise, but a great shame. No, and, it, and, it's, and he's one of so many at the moment that are just battling such serious injuries. We haven't talked about Andy Murray yet today, who's, who's, you know, still hasn't played an event since his surgery. And he's, he's at least, you know, there's talk of whether he might play next week in Loughborough. I think that's unlikely um, next week. And, and it's. It's there just, were a lot of speculative reports last week that it's all not going as well since yeah. he took to the practice courts as uh, as it was when he was just in the gym. Yeah, well, and, and I think for a while he was on the practice courts, wasn't he? But we, the truth is we, we don't know, we haven't heard, other than to say what I do know is he is still in the draw for the three events that he's due to come back in, which are the grass court event in Holland, the one at the Fever Tree Championship. The one that Queens. you don't name, David. The, yeah. the grass court event in Holland. The other one. Yes, um, and uh, Wimbledon, of course. I mean, he still hopes to play all of those, but and we are still a fair way off from them. But you know, it's it, it's heartbreaking for him. It's it's tough for Joe Wilfred Songer. Stan Wawrinka finally came back after having a few more months without being able to play. Played first round in Rome, lost in straight sets. But at least the bloke is out there and he's fit again. I know that they're not. 19 anymore and they've had good careers no matter what happens but I just it's just hard to watch hard so it's Rinker 32 reaching his prime yes that's right um, and somebody who Patrick Moratoglu thinks will be playing in Paris and will be playing their very best in Paris or close to it is uh, Serena Williams she withdrew from Rome and we talked last week about how that probably meant she wouldn't be playing in Paris now I really like Patrick, I work with him at Eurosport. I have a lot of time for what he has to say, but he is definitely on the optimistic end of the spectrum where well, this sort of thing is concerned. He, he isn't is. He? he did an interview with the WTA website in which he detailed um, that she had come back too early, in his opinion, and uh, that she just wanted a bit more time, but that, that the plan was for her to play in Paris. He then retweeted that article and he said emphatically, Serena Williams will be in and playing Roland Garros. I mean, he, he just left it at that. So um, that is a fabulous little ingredient to add to the mixture um, for, for the French Open. So she will play her first clay court event in her... I know she had the dalliance in the sunshine swing, but I'm calling this her comeback, yeah. really. That was, a, that was a little test, a taster, wasn't it? That was just a toe in the water. Serena Williams will make her comeback at the French Open, having not played a clay court warm-up event. Does, one final question for you, David, the fact that she's obviously prepared to do that, prepared to play a slam, 
with that warm-up event, do you think we'll see her at Birmingham, in Birmingham or Eastbourne or Mallorca? Or do you think she's going to head to Wimbledon without a warm-up event? I think if she was going to play one of the events, it would be Eastbourne, I would have thought. Just the, be- the week before? Yeah, because she, she's done it. She has played it before, I think, or at least she's gone there and, and, and prepared. Uh, I don't know whether she ended up playing or not. I can't quite remember. I, I, if I was betting, I would probably think she isn't going to play uh, anywhere else. But so two com- first two comeback events: French, o- French Open and Wimbledon. Win them both. <laughs> yeah. Break the next record. Oh, she goes, she'll probably just go. All right. Well, I'm not going to bother with anything other than Grand Slams then. <laughs> <laughs> Off she goes, riding off into the sunset. So that's Serena Williams. She'll be back in Paris, according to Patrick Moritogli, the ever-optimistic Patrick Moritogli. I love it. Um, We've been the Tennis Podcast, David, and do you want to interrupt me with a mention of Tom Ocker before I wrap up? You've got 20 seconds. I really should do, because Anne Connolly just is constantly telling me to to mention Tom Ocker. We've got a listener that's obsessed with Tom Ocker. Yeah, absolutely. weird and and wonderful. uh, A great player from the 60s and 70s, and and 50 years ago, he won the Italian open she tells me uh, he, he didn't quite get into the international tennis hall of fame uh, recently but uh, obviously Just despite all her letters yeah she, she has been campaigning for, for his uh, inclusion but anyway uh, there we are he's been mentioned on the tennis podcast for you Anne uh, and also just very quickly we will you will be signing off with mention of the Lamanga club we will have that offer and we will very soon Catherine Whitaker be having a competition where our listeners one of them at least can win a little holiday in La Manga Club for three days, weren't we? A little holiday. I saw Rafa of uh, of Catherine Whitaker's new forehand fame, the, oh, yeah. the coach. I saw him uh, uh, knocking up with Simona Halep on uh, the centre court in Madrid last week. Similar. That is the level of pedigree of the coaches. He was warming up Simona Halep. Right. And I think she went on to lose, but uh, she's, still, she's still quite good. So, um, yeah. We've been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with the Manga Club. Uh, Competition coming next week and promotion continually available. Uh, T-Podcast18 is the code for 10% off accommodation and tennis packages. Uh, We're brought to you in association with The Telegraph, with our three executive producers, Triple S, Melanie Bowes and TennisBalls.com and with Charlie the lovely ferret who um, has been featured on uh, various social media platforms just parading his ferret couture with ultimate pride we'll speak to you next week a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.